0: Welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Peter Sacker, manager of the Artemis Smart GARP Global Equity Fund. Peter has managed Artemis' global growth strategy and in an institutional global fund since January 2004. He has also co managed the European growth strategy since 2002 and the Global Emerging Market Strategy since its launch in April 2015. He joined Artemis in December 2002 from Merrill Lynch, where he worked as an equity strategist from 1999. Peter holds a BA in Mathematics and Philosophy from the University of Oxford, an MA in Economics from Freiburg University, and a PhD in Economics from Hamburg University. He is a CFA charterholder, a partner in Artemis, and a member of the Executive Committee. So firstly, a very warm welcome to you, Peter, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. Thank you, Richard. If we could perhaps start at the beginning, could you talk us through the objectives and the strategy of the Artemis SmartGar Global Equity Fund and indeed remind us of the meaning of
1: SmartGar? Absolutely. Well, the fund's objective is quite simply to grow shareholders' capital and income over the medium to long term by investing in global equities. But uh, what's perhaps different for us is that we, in searching for these uh, opportunities to grow the capital, we cast the net out uh, very wide, choosing from an investable universe of about 7,000 companies from about 50 countries, whether it be developed markets, emerging economies or even frontier markets. Any sector of the stock market is fair game. And of course, we also choose from the entire market cap spectrum large caps, mid caps, and small caps. And in terms of the meaning of of smart GARP? Yes. Well, if you start with such a huge investable universe like like we do, you have to use something to narrow the field down so that with our limited attention, uh, we have time to investigate uh, those cases where there appears to be evidence that share prices and fundamentals have diverged. And that's basically where where SmartGov comes in. It's a quantitative stock screening tool that has evolved over the last 20 plus years. and, And it pulls in more than 100 data points for all the companies in the universe and highlights those companies where there appears to be a disconnect between share prices and fundamentals. And then our job as the fund managers is then to go out and do a bit of due diligence to verify that there's a real life investment story behind the seemingly attractive investment opportunity. So the key advantages, in my opinion, of using SMARTGARP to cover this big universe is that it's disciplined and uh, unemotional, that it provides very timely signals, and also that it sort of constantly checks whether the reasons for which we've made our existing investments are still holding true today. Yes, and uh, absolutely. And, and the GARP
0: part, therefore, stands for this sort of growth at, at a reasonable price.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So SMARTGARP technically is, a, is an acronym. It's sentiment, momentum, analyst revisions, accruals, top-down growth at a re- reasonable price. These basically, these are seven of the eight factors that feature in SmartCop today. The eighth one is explicit ESG factor that we couldn't quite squeeze into this acronym as we have it today. <laughs> Understood. So so what are the current geographical and
0: sector weightings of the fund?
1: Well, today, the fund is very heavily underweight US equities and very heavily with very heavy offsetting overweights in Europe and emerging markets. The reasons for this is not so much my personal view of the relative merits of the US economy versus Europe, but rather it goes back to Smartgup again. The way we decide on our regional allocations is that we compare the proportion of SmartGOP's best ideas within a certain region with the weight of that region in, in our global benchmark. So for instance, at the moment, North American equities make up about 64% of the MSCI All Country World Index, our benchmark, yet they only make up about 20% of Smart best ideas. And that's why we're underweight there. And of course, conversely, by contrast, uh, in Europe and in, uh, in emerging markets especially, these markets are overrepresented among Smart best ideas. I'd like to once stress one point here, which goes a bit back to what you were saying at the beginning. I've been managing this fund since the beginning of 2004, and I've been doing this asset a location like this ever since then. And in all these years, the proportion of best ideas that SmartCup has found in the US has never been as low as it is today. And I find that quite fascinating. And it would be tempting to think that the only reason SmartCup doesn't like the US is because the valuations are rich. But that's not actually true. I mean, it is true that these valuations are quite stretched there. But you know, it's still possible to find reasonably valued companies in the US. And in fact, there are plenty of companies in the US that are fully valued, but are justifying their the full valuations. The reason SmartCop is, if you want, disenchanted with US equities at the moment, uh, is that actually both in terms of analyst estimate revisions on aggregate and in terms of price momentum on, on aggregate, uh, US equities are scoring only averagely or, or even slightly below par. And that in combination with rich valuations, that is not a recipe for making money. Again, to stress. There are some companies that have got strong earnings momentum and strong price momentum, but they tend to be in the mega cap and the high growth space. But what SmartCap is picking up is that if you look over the the wide universe of uh, U.S. equities that we are screening today, we're actually finding relatively few ideas. Sure. And in terms of actual sector breakdowns, how does that fall into place? At the moment, we are overweight financials and especially banks and, and insurance companies and the other material overweights we have are in energy and in basic materials. And again, it's tempting to say, oh, maybe we are just buying these because they're, they're cheap. But that's not what, uh, what SmartGarp is designed to do. As as you were saying earlier, SmartGarp is a GARP process. It looks for companies that are, uh, you know, it's growth at a reasonable price, that are cheaply valued for the growth that they're expected to, to deliver. Uh, and, you know, at times, SmartGarp will push us in the direction of, High growth companies that are fairly valued only, and you know, that's where the opportunities are. And today we find much more in the camp that are very cheaply valued, but are growing as fast or only slightly faster than, than the market. And when you look at the financials or the resource sector, those all fall into this camp. But what w- would stress is that we invest in those companies, not just because they're cheap, but also uh, because there is a catalyst to convert this undervalued situation into a higher share price. And that very often is positive trends in analyst estimates.
0: Okay, so you very clearly and concisely described the kind of things that you're looking out for uh, in specific stocks going through the smart guard kind of filter. I wonder, is dividend or dividend yield something that comes into your calculations or, or is it pretty much growth focused?
1: It's an interesting one. So, dividend yield is one of the components within the value part of of the SmartCap screen, and so we tend to have, on average over the entire cycle, a slightly positive bias towards uh, towards dividend yield. At the moment, uh, the dividend yield uh, is at its highest it's uh, it's ever been since in the almost 18 years that I've been managing the fund. But that's just a reflection of where where SmartGarb has has found the most attractive. Investment opportunities. So, so yes, there is a decided uh, yield tilt in, in in the fund as we speak today.
0: So, to put some color onto that, Peter, uh, could you perhaps talk us through one or two of your your top holdings at the moment?
1: Yeah, uh, maybe I'll uh, I mention a couple, maybe some that are more familiar and some that, that are less familiar. If I start with one that's probably less familiar to to listeners, we have a significant investment in a Chinese renewable company called Long Yuan Power. You know, if you read the papers today in the context of COP26, you may be surprised to hear me tout China of all places as a place to find environmentally friendly investments. But I think this turns out to be a serious misunderstanding. And that's not just because China has officially stated that they want to be, you know, net zero by 2060, and that they have a long term plan to, de- to decarbonize the economy. But I think more importantly, because if you are a company in that space in China, you have the benefit that you can really make very long term plans, because you don't have to worry about uh, there being a policy reversal of the type we've seen in the West and especially in, in the US not so long ago. So Long Yuan power is one of the beneficiaries that generates about 75% of its revenues from wind farms. And solar is making up an increasing share of its revenues as well. I think we've all seen the latest headlines of China's continued reliance on, on coal and you know and the problems that that has caused the, the country so it seems to me that long yuan has a very long way and a very long time to grow its its top line and we can make an investment in a company like like this at 17 times earnings which is is little cheaper than the market average but not particularly richly valued but i think that's a, that's an attractive investment opportunity given how how long this uh, this growth may last uh, so we believe this this growth isn't uh, fully reflected in the share price I'd say I'd mention a, also a name that's maybe much more familiar. I mean, we do also own shares in Alphabet, valued at 26 times earnings. So clearly trades at uh, somewhat of a premium to the broader market. But in our view, you know, that is justified partly by the continued seller growth across its many business units, but also by its outstanding cash generation. And we've just seen that the other day when they reported their their Q results. But I thought maybe I'll I'll finish off uh, with something much more controversial as an investment than than these two, which is a Chinese bank. So the fund owns a couple of Chinese banks. One of them is Bank of Communications. It's the sixth largest bank in China, and it's basically valued today as if it's going to go bust in the very near term future. And we're talking here about not 26 times like for Google, but 3.5 times earnings. It sports a dividend yield, as we were talking earlier, of almost 10%. And that dividend is even forecast to grow by 5% or so in the next few years. Now, the reason it's trading on these uh, very low valuations, in my opinion, is that investor sentiment has swung against it partly because of the US-China tensions, geopolitical tensions. It's also true that the government holds a stake in the company and at times exerts influence on the management. And of course, there's a lot of fear. Thirdly, there's also a lot of fear about China at the moment surrounding banks' exposure, to a very large real estate development company, Evergrande, which might have a big impact on, on the loan book and on non-performing loans going, going through the roof. But what I find interesting is that when you actually dig into the detail and do, do the research on the company, what you find is that this is not really showing up in the financial characteristics of the company. So they just reported very recently the latest results, and it suggested that asset quality is actually improving rather than deteriorating. And the suggestion is that uh, its return on equity, which is at the moment at about, at a healthy level of about 10%, might actually rise from from here. And at that valuation point, in our opinion, the risk reward is heavily skewed uh, to, to our favor. An interesting choice. Now, obviously, the last 18
0: months has been somewhat extraordinary. I'm, I'm sure your smart guard filter has really been put to the test as well. So how have you found that the fund has performed over that sort of
1: period? Well, the fund had a difficult first nine months of 2020, followed then by a very strong recovery since. You know, over the last two to three years, SmartGuard gradually has been encouraging us to take profits in our high growth holdings and to redeploy the capital more at the cheaply valued part of the market. And that was a a slight headwind in, in 2019, but then became a significant headwind initially then during the pandemic, during the first lockdown. And then in the initial stages of coming coming out of the uh, out out of lockdown, you know, because in those days it was the growthier names that kept outperforming very very sharply. But what we've then found is that since the announcement of the efficacy of several COVID nineteen vaccines, the fund's fortunes have changed dramatically, and suddenly what was a significant headwind in the first nine months of of 2020 has been a tailwind since then. And so uh, and so yes, the the, the fund has been. Enjoying a, a healthy recovery since then.
0: And finally, Peter. Obviously, at any given time, markets have to climb a wall of worry. You mentioned the tensions in terms of the U.S.-China relationship, which aren't being so widely reported today, but clearly are, are still there. Then we've got concerns around inflation tapering by the Fed in the states and the potential for rising interest rates. How do you find that you're positioned at the moment, and what's your outlook from here?
1: Right. I should perhaps say that the. I'll say that I never make uh, forecasts about the direction of, of the overall market. But what I would add is that from where I'm sitting, the present investment environment does present, in spite of many markets having, having made new all-time highs lately, really an unusually large number of, uh, of interesting investment opportunities. So I had it earlier, we see many of these more at the value end of the market especially but not exclusively in Europe and in emerging markets. I touched on banks and insurance and also energy and and basic materials. But again, my perception is, you know, there's been a big gap that has opened up in certain segments of the market between the fundamentals, which are very resilient, and where the share prices are, are trading. And if that gap closes, there is significant alpha to be generated, whichever direction the market is going into. So at the moment, the fund on aggregate is, is very cheaply valued, but it is delivering higher growth than the market average. And in my experience, that's been a, a good recipe for future returns in the past. And I'm very hopeful that it will prove so again this time around.
0: And always good to end on a positive note.
1: Many thanks again
0: for your time, Peter, and for those valuable insights. That's Peter Sacker, manager of the Artinus Smart Global Equity Fund. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.